Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. We cannot allow civil unrest to descend into chaos. We stand on the brink of an historic week. Congresswoman Waters may have given you something on appeal that may result in this whole trial being... Okay, we are live in the studio. We're going to cut the intro because we're going to go right now to Minneapolis where the Judge Cahill is about to introduce the jury. Take it, Clark. Okay. Is the jury coming in? Uh, Derek Challenge is standing up. Okay. The, the, all right. All right. The judge is looking down at his notes. All right. Please be seated. The uh, attorney and, and uh, Chauvin the are jury, just, just standing up. Members of the jury, I will now read the verdicts as they will appear in the permanent records of the 4th Judicial District. State of Minnesota, County of Hennepin, District Court, 4th Judicial District. State of Minnesota Plaintiff versus Derek Michael Chauvin, Defendant. Verdict, Count 1. Court File Number 27, CR 20-12646. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to Count 1, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.44 p.m. Signed, juror four-person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count two, third-degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Signed by jury four-person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count three. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count three, second-degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Jury four-person, 019. Members of the jury, I'm now going to ask you individually if these are your true and correct verdicts. Please respond yes or no. Juror number two, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number nine, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 19, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 27, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 44, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 52, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 55, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 79, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 85, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 89, is this your, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 91, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Juror number 92, are these your true and correct verdicts? Yes. Are these your verdicts, so say you one, so say you all? Yes. 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 Members of the jury, I find that uh, the verdicts as read reflect the will of the jury and will be filed accordingly. I have to thank you on behalf of the people of the state of Minnesota for not only jury service, but heavy duty jury service. What I'm gonna ask you to do now is to follow the deputy back into your usual room and I will join you in a few minutes to answer questions and to advise you further. So, all rise for the jury.
Okay, that was the uh, judge in the Derek Chauvin trial. And uh, Chauvin, the police officer, has been found guilty on three counts. The uh, I'm paraphrasing here. He was found guilty on second-degree murder requiring prosecutors to prove Chauvin intended to harm Floyd. Found guilty on third-degree murder requiring proof that Chauvin's actions were eminently dangerous and done with indifference to the loss of life. And he was found guilty on second-degree manslaughter requires jurors to believe that he caused Floyd's death through negligence and consciously took the chance of causing severe injury or death. Um, as you heard that, the look of um, almost disbelief is how I would describe uh, the now Derek Chauvin was wearing a mask in the courtroom, but his eyes were fixed on the judge as he was asking the jurors. Perhaps he was glancing over once or twice to the jurors, but he he looked like he was in somewhat of of a shock. So they they went into deliberation yesterday. When I heard, uh, I guess it was about 3 o'clock this afternoon, they, they mm-hmm. said they were going to uh, have a verdict today. I, I'm, I'm an amateur when it comes to this, but my first impression was that doesn't sound go- good for uh, Derek Chauvin. Yeah, you know, I'm not an expert, obviously, but uh, when I heard that, coupled with the fact that the jury had no questions. All right. Um, I thought I thought the only thing it could be would be a guilty verdict on all charges, or either maybe uh, maybe some clear cut legal um, I hate to say loophole, but legal uh, issue that just would not allow them to to um, have a verdict at all. But uh, with no questions, something that uh, a trial that's gone this long to me was pretty telling. I thought. Now, if you remember yesterday, Maxine Waters, we reported that over the weekend. She said when she was out with, quote, protesters, or you might want to call them rioters, she said that um, we need to come down hard. I'm paraphrasing here, but um, they, they need to continue to mount up the pressure unless we get a guilty of murder charge. Well, they didn't really give them a guilty of murder charge in this. So the question is, will they riot? I hope not. I pray not. I have no confidence, however, that they won't riot. Because, by and large, the rioters are looking for an excuse to riot. And if it wasn't this, it would be something else. But since they're all prepared to riot, my hunch is you're going to see some looting and burning tonight. Well, any reasonable person would you know would know that what Maxine Waters said. I mean, she was asking for a conviction of a charge that was not even levied against him, and you know by by saying to get more confrontational. Yeah. I mean, what is that saying? I mean, that's 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 inciting uh, violence, and I, I think it'd be a textbook case someday of what happens when you have a jury that is uh, you know prejudicial, I guess, because. You know, with everything in the news, um, I mean, this thing has been litigated for the last year in the public's eye. Um, and in addition, I mean, yesterday you, between Maxine Waters and the president of the United States commenting on a case. Today. I, it, I mean, how can the judge not – I think – and the judge called it yesterday. He pretty much said, no, I will not uh, dismiss this. But uh, but you've got an appeal. But you have an appeal. I mean, you have a sitting judge that says that it's going to happen. Right. So I don't think this thing is over, unfortunately. 
No, no, it's not. Derek uh, Chauvin, his attorney, Eric Nelson, asked the judge to declare a mistrial due to what Maxine Waters said. And again, as Benny just said, the uh, Judge Cahill said no, but said, <laughs> but you've got an open case for uh, appealing, uh, appealing this decision, which you know that will happen probably before the day is out, there'll, there'll be at least some uh, rhetoric about how they will appeal this based on Maxine Waters' comments and uh, asking for a mistrial. The president today came out and said, now he said, now I, I didn't say this until after they went into deliberation. So Joe Biden came out with his comments saying, quote, I can only imagine the pressure and anxiety they're feeling, and so I waited until the jury was requested, and I called, uh, and I called, Biden said. I wasn't going to say anything about it, but George Floyd's brother said today on television that he accurately said it was a private conversation because Joe understands what it was like to go through a loss. They're a good family, and they're calling for peace and tranquility, no matter what the verdict is. And then he said, I'm praying that the verdict is the right verdict, which I think it's overwhelming in my view. I wouldn't say that unless the jury was sequestered now. Now, Joe Biden might not have directly called for a guilty verdict, but if you are got half a brain, you can read between the lines. He was hoping and praying for a guilty verdict. And while his words probably didn't have any impact on the jury. I mean, they were they were sequestered, so they didn't even know he said it. However, the impact that it would have potentially on riots could be astronomical. Yeah, he had an opportunity to to say something before this happened that that would say, "Hey, let the legal process go through the, the go through the legal process and let's not prejudge and let and let's trust the American system." Unfortunately, he didn't do that. He no. had an opportunity to do it, and it may not affect the jury, but it could affect what happens in Minneapolis tonight. Quite frankly, what Maxine Waters said and what Jen Psaki and Nancy Pelosi, they really did not come down on what Maxine Waters says. And as a result, they said quite the opposite. Instead of saying, let the judicial system play out, they're saying, we don't trust the judicial system, nor do we trust law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, when you ask for, you ask that he be convicted on a charge that has not been levied against him. I think you're saying that you yeah. already don't trust the, the yeah, system. Exactly. How, how can they possibly come up to your standard? I mean, uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine for a second being a juror and really seriously think about the law? <laughs> I mean, really think about the law and what your instructions are. With with what's been going on, the fear of you had people, you, oh, had, yeah. you had witnesses for the defense that have been attacked, their property's been attacked, had to leave town. As a juror, I mean, do you really think if you're sitting here wondering uh, as far as the rule of law and, and how, which way you should go, uh, you might be thinking about your safety first. Well, think of all the situations over the last 24 months in which people have been doxxed, where they're personal information, somebody has gotten a hold of it on the progressive side, the Antifa side, the Black Lives Matter side, the progressive side. There's a decision that happens. They don't like the decision, and so they dox the information 
on the person, where they live, where they work. I, I, I'm sorry. You have to assume that those jurors, that that was going through their mind. And in that sense, what a sad, sad commentary. In that sense, the Antifa progressive anarchists have won. Because I, 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 I promise you that that was going through their minds. If we come back with a, and, and again, it was unanimous, the jury was unanim- unanimous, if we come back with a verdict that was either, even a, just a hung jury, that we couldn't come to a decision, would they be doxxed, and would their lives be in danger? Would they be fired from their jobs? Would, would they have threats come into their – and I, the answer to all the above is yes, they would have. Yeah, I think anything short of being guilty on all three charges would have been yeah. really devastating for the jurors. And, that, and that's bad to say in the United States. And that yeah. is devastating for our judicial system. Yeah. That is devastating for our form of government. That is devastating for due process. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like testifying against Al Capone in 1920 yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> No, you're yeah. absolutely I mean, right. Who's, who's going to do it? Yeah, yeah. who's going? Yeah, uh, oh, oh, we're going to testify. No, we can't testify against them because that person died on their way to the court. Anyway, um, there are now more than three thousand National Guard soldiers, along with state and local police officers, sheriffs, deputies, and other law enforcement personnel. They flooded into Minneapolis in recent days, and uh, the verdict has now come down. Um, I I pray, l- literally, I, I I pray for. I pray for a great awakening in in this in this sense. I mean, I, I pray that the, the gospel would go forth, but but in this sense that there would be some, and and it's going to take divine intervention for us to get out of this insanity in which we're living. Lord, please give us some sanity. Lord, please allow us to uh, deal with people with kindness and 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 could we just follow the basic rule of law? There are good people and they're bad people. And listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending Derek Chauvin because I don't know. I mean, all these people that are playing armchair quarterback, I wasn't there. I don't know. I mean, it, it certainly looked iffy to me, and that on top of the fact that there were like 18 other complaints about Chauvin. But I don't know whether the guy's guilty or innocent. But the idea that if we don't get our way, we're going to dox you, we're going to hurt you, we're going to burn your house down. This is insanity, and it's got to stop. Well, unfortunately, for last year, you've had, I mean, reckless journalists and politicians yep. have, have litigated this for last year, told everyone what the decision should be yep. before they ever knew yep. a shred of evidence. Yep. And, I'll, and I'd be willing to bet that most everyone in Congress um, that, that comments on it hadn't watched a single thing other than what they see on the news. I mean, watching the trial— and, I, and, and, and I, everything you see on the news is highly filtered yeah. based on the narrative that they want to project. Because I go back to, I guess it was, was it 94, 95 with the O.J. Simpson trials it, back in the 90s? A while back, yeah. And I was like most people, I was you know really intrigued with that. And every night, I mean, I watched, that's all I watched was replays of it. And what you saw in the actual courtroom and what you call the, the tidbits on the news media was completely different of what happened. So, Oh, yeah. Um, By the way, Maxine Waters, if you go all the way back to oh, – I'm getting a, a brain freeze. Um, the Rodney uh, – Rodney King? Rodney King. Yeah, because yeah, she's, a, she's a California representative, yeah. Rodney she, King. She, back when Rodney King happened, that was back in 94, I think. 
It was in, back in the nineties. Yeah, yeah ninety two, ninety four. She commented on that then, and the riots, and then she basically encouraged mayhem and rioting then, based on what happened. Now she came back afterwards and said, "Oh, please don't riot." But by the time she said that, twelve people had died. The woman shouldn't be in Congress now. Ninety two. Thank you, Clark. Ninety two. The woman shouldn't be in Congress now. She should certainly be censured, and she should be stripped of her chairmanship. What what she did yesterday, and I'm going to be kind of harsh here, but what the comments she made yesterday. Well, she made them on Friday night or Friday, Saturday yeah, night, whenever, yeah, whenever over the weekend. Um, honestly, if, if you are not the nicest way I can put it, no, I'll put it this way. If you think what she said was right, and you think that she does not deserve to be a, a minimum censured, I think she should be impeached, you're a fool. I mean, that that is the most reckless thing that I have ever seen. After what Minneapolis went through last year, yeah. for her to say that, yeah. you know, I just it's unbelievable. And, and Nancy Pelosi and the president is defending her. Yeah. Well, and if you're going to lead the parade to impeach President Trump based on what he said at that January 6th rally— then she should not only be impeached, but maybe she should be tarred and feathered. Lots more to talk about. Love to hear from you. Love to hear your response. Five six one eight two five five. We got to take a break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Drive at five and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk ninety six point three and one zero three seven. All right, uh, Tom and Benny and Clark, and uh, as we reported in the first uh, segment, it is uh, already in. Derek Chauvin has uh, been found guilty on three charges, and uh, we will see if the uh, anarchists take to the streets tonight. Nancy Pelosi and the president and Maxine Waters, the, the threesome, you know, they, were, they were hoping for a murder verdict, <laughs> which wasn't even a choice. But uh, that's what Maxine wanted. Weather, uh, taking a look at your weather, it is going to get cold later this week. At night, overnight, Thursday night is going to be 33. Otherwise, um, tomorrow, a chance of shower, slight chance of shower, some sunshine, a high of 77. Tomorrow night, a low of 37 with clear skies. Sunny Thursday, a high of 63. And Thursday night, a low of 33. Ouch. I Cold. Guess, I guess we're having a false spring. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, weather brought to you by our friends at Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Voted best golf course in Greenville two years in a row. Ironwood Golf and Country Club boasts an 18-hole Lee Trevino design course, full-service dining and outdoor pool, tennis, and more. Our newly revised and renovated 15,000-square-foot clubhouse is the perfect place to make new traditions with your family. For a limited time, Join Ironwood, pay zero initiation fees, call 252-752-4653 to find out what makes Ironwood the best of Greenville. 252-752-4653, be a part of the best Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Walter Mondale, boy, makes you feel old. Vice President under Jimmy Carter passed away, he's 93, passed away uh, on Monday. Uh, Jimmy said of uh, the former vice president, today I mourn the passing of my dear friend Walter Mondale, who I consider the best vice president our country's, in our country's history. Really? <laughs> <laughs> he well, might have been a lot of things, but I don't know about that. I think he was a nice guy. I mean, it goes back to the time of, you know, where politicians were actually civil to one another. But uh, he did get beat 
five twenty five to thirteen, as I recall. Yes, <laughs> it was embarrassing. Ronald Reagan, he he ran for the presidency, and Ronald Reagan, it, it wasn't pretty. Ronald Reagan just beat him six ways to Sunday. And uh, I, I remember, I can remember to this day, the concession speech the next day. One of the reasons I remember, for some reason it was from Baltimore. I don't know why, but they didn't have it in D.C. He was up in Baltimore and gave his concession speech, and there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be like me giving the concession speech, and you and Clark would be the only people there. I mean, it was it was that bad. It was that sad. I I mean, I rarely do feel do rarely, rarely do I feel sorry for a, a liberal, but Hillary um, Clinton can tell you about not having a lot of people <laughs> around at speeches. I yeah, that's when true. She was, when she was here in Greenville, uh, when she ran against Donald Trump, um, he's over, she's over at Pitt Community College. Yeah, it's like forty-four people there or something. I don't know. Well, and <laughs> uh, well, I had that was interesting. I don't know if you heard the program that I'm sorry. day. I, I I was over at Pitt Community College watching that. Now I, I wasn't in the crowd. I was I was one of the parking lots adjacent to it. Someone who worked for me actually went to the event because he was curious, not because he's a Hillary fan. And uh, I, I talked to him afterwards and got a report from him. And anyway, we, we had a great debate with me versus uh, a lot of the uh, folks over WITN. Uh, and I think they were reporting 1,500. And I said, there's no way. <laughs> it looked, no. no way. It looked I said just like 300 a at most. Yeah, it looked like a normal day at Pitt Community yeah. College, honestly. I mean, I, I mean, and half the people were probably just happened to be wandering by and thinking what's going on. And the other half were part of the entourage. But, you know, 1,500, no way. Uh, Carolina Journal is reporting. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson came out yesterday and said he will not be running for the U.S. Senate come 2022, which I applaud, Mark. I really do think Mark could be the next governor of the state of North Carolina. I hope he is. But, you know, I, I think, and I think he probably would have made it an interesting race. I like Mark a lot. He's, I wouldn't say he's an experienced politician, but that's probably what makes him so good. And uh, I, I love the guy's values, but I think it would have come across as a little grabby, a little too soon. I mean, in the office for four months and decided, well, I need to get a promotion already. Mm-hmm. And he's doing a great job as lieutenant governor. And he's actually, I mean, most lieutenant governors, you don't even know who they are. They don't make the news. And this guy is making the news not only in the state, but he's making the news nationally. And he's he's uh, he, he he has got a following. And I think if he continues in the course he's on, uh, I'd be I'd be on the uh, Mark Robinson for governor bandwagon for sure. I want to see him run against Josh Stein really bad because I, I know Josh Stein is prepping for governor next time around. Oh sure, so, sure. Uh, and I think I, I mean th- basically Josh Stein is. Governor Cooper's oh, lieutenant yeah. governor, mm-hmm. and in his mind, he's yeah. a lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. And and Josh Stein d- doesn't doesn't worry about enforcing the laws that's passed by the legislature. He's worried about doing whatever the Democratic playbooks and Governor Cooper tells him to do. His elected job has not been on his mind for what, ever five years now. <laughs> so because he's in his second term, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, by the way, next uh, Monday. We are scheduled tentatively to have Mark Walker on with us. So we'll see. Right now, it's just officially, it's just on the Republican side, just Mark Walker and Pat McCory who have announced Ted Budd is expected to join the race. 
We'll see where that goes. Uh, Tim Moore has removed fellow Republican Julia Howard from her position as senior finance committee chair earlier today. The move comes after Howard, one of the longest-serving members of the North Carolina General Assembly, publicly opposed a bill that was backed by Tim Moore that would give tax breaks to businesses that receive federal coronavirus relief money from the Paycheck Protection Program. If the bill is signed into law, now this is from the News and Observer. I mean, this is probably true, but it's not a big deal. If the law, if the bill is signed into law, Moore is one of a number of lawmakers who would benefit from the bill's passage as he owns his own business that received a loan. At the direction of the Speaker, we removed Howard from the Finance Committee and added her to the Appropriations Committee, House Principal Clerk James White told the News and Observer. Um, you were, you were telling me what is probably uh, amounts to six hundred bucks for. It seemed like I read yesterday that um, he had made the comment that it was it was going to mean six hundred dollars difference in taxes for him. Where was the News and Observer when we were talking about all the money that Joe Biden got from China? <laughs> or Hunter Biden has gotten from China and, and um, the uh, gas company. Uh, they, they somehow missed that one, but this this uh, this comment about uh, Moore is one of the lawmakers who would benefit from the bill's passage. That does I, okay. So I mean, if if we're going to have a we're going to pass a bill to increase the speed limit by ten miles per hour. Uh, is that um, should should the people not vote for that because they could you know the the legislature could now get to Raleigh quicker well, how if about, we increase the speed yeah, limit? Yeah, how about if the legislature has a bill to just lower taxes across the board? Yeah, they're going to well, benefit from. Well, they're going to benefit yeah. from it. Are they going to recuse themselves? <laughs> well, for that's that? basically what this is, isn't I it? Know. I know. That's mean, basically what it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he might benefit it, but how many hundreds of other businesses will benefit it from it as well? Anyway, that's the that's the news and observer. Any any time they can try to make a conservative look bad, they're gonna they're gonna jump on it. Uh, apparently, there's no path forward for a GOP bill that would ban health care treatments. This is a state bill, a North Carolina bill. Uh, no path forward for a bill that would ban health care treatment for transgender teens, according to a spokesperson for the top Republican in the North Carolina Senate, Phil Berger. The legislation is the most controversial of eight bills, so says the News and Observer, filed by the North Carolina state lawmakers this year related to LGBTQ rights. In addition to banning doctors from providing gender-affirming health care to transgender teens like puberty blockers and hormone therapy, it would force teachers and other school employees to tell parents or guardians if their kid identifies as a transgender. Listen, I tell you, I, I, maybe this is not the perfect bill. But there needs to be something that is done to protect these kids from child abuse, mm-hmm. that the parents are at least informed, involved, and they give consent before they start slicing and dicing, or as some people have called it, giving young boys chemical castrations with some of these, uh, quote, medicines that they're injecting into their body. And, uh, of course, the other bill, too, is the sports bill. The Save Women Sports Bill. These are two separate bills, but it sounds like the sports bill is also getting the thumbs down. We'll we'll wait and see. That's probably got a little bit of a better shot. I don't. Why would anybody vote against that? I mean, this is the war on women. Uh, the, the, the Republicans are trying to prevent the war on women's sports, where transgenders have a chance to identify as females, play in female sports, and basically eliminate biological females from participating in sports or getting scholarships to colleges 
And again, this is the this is the bill. We talked to Keith Kidwell last week about this. This bill is from basically kindergarten through college. And the NCAA came out last week and says if these these bills are passed, it will uh, the NCAA says we're going to prevent championships from coming to those states. Now there's a bunch of states that are considering the same bill. There's just a handful that have actually passed it, but there's probably 18 states right now, some somewhere about that number that that it's it's equivalent to where it is in North Carolina that it's been proposed and it's being voted on by the, the by the House and the Senate of these states. Um, so I, I suppose if this were to pass, that it would prevent, as we talked about last week, prevent the, uh, say, East Carolina University, if it passed between now and uh, the regionals and super regionals in baseball, perhaps East Carolina wouldn't be able to host one because of this. But as Keith Kiswell said, that's not going to stop the conservatives from passing it. But I have to ask and wonder, is Phil Berger thinking this is, bathroom bill 2.0 that somehow that this is going to be a negative i I, i'm sorry this is a war on women prevention bill and i i hope that uh, phil berger and the other members of the house and the senate in the north carolina legislature would stand strong on this bill you know if you're gonna pick one of the two i think this is a whole lot less controversial and i think if the average citizen actually found out what is in the Save the Women's Sports bill, I think the majority of North Carolinians would be for it. I think if you put it on a ballot, it's a winning thing to be on the positive side for this bill. I don't see how the NCAA can can, can come out with this position and uh, keep a straight face with women's sports because it will will kill women's sports. For what they've been through with Title IX, um, I, I just can't imagine, and I'm surprised that and, and some are, and women's sports are, are being very uh, very loud about this. But uh, I, I don't know why the NCAA is like they're taking their direction straight from the Democrat Party or something. Bingo. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> Bingo. Stay with us. We'll be right back. He's washed his hands so many times he can now see the answers to his tests from high school. Uh, those aren't the right answers. And you never know what to expect with Tom Lambrecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. 19 minutes before the top of the hour. Tom and Benny and Clark. News and views. There is a great piece. In fact, Clark, see if you can get this and uh, put a link on our webpage, uh, ANC News and Views. Uh, it is a op-ed by the, um, Andrew Finlayson in the Carolina Journal. And it, he does a great job of explaining what we're going through right now with Antifa, Black Lives Matter, um, critical race theory, political correctness. Uh, it's a long piece, and it's really too long to read to you. But, I mean, he, he opens up talking about the actual first um, experimentation in the United States with socialism happened back in 1825, a British socialist by the name of Robert Owen set up a, actually, I guess the very first case of socialism in North America, in in North America was actually the pilgrims Mm -hmm. because they almost starved to death the first year they were here because they, they basically had now, you know, they, they looked at it as a a, a commune kind of, you know, that we're going to take care of as, as Christians, we're going to take care of each other, but even they faced the challenge that, 
um, you, you had people trying to live off of others. Well, this this little socialist experiments uh, that took place, it was up in Indiana. Uh, it was called the New Harmony Experiment, experiment back in 1825. And just like all socialism, it happened there again. There were some that worked hard to make it successful, and there was others that were sitting on their can. And after a while, the people that were working hard noticed that the people sitting on the can got the same amount that the hard workers got. And so the hard workers said, screw this. And it, it took about a year, and that whole thing fell apart. Um, and he, he cites that as one of the first true experiments in socialism. He talks then about how you know cultural Marxism was uh, popping up in Europe. It it didn't it, it floundered to some some uh, a, a bit. Uh, it languished in Europe. It competed with other socialist uh, heresies, but found its way into faculty rooms in many of our universities in the 1960s. Been growing like a cancer ever since. He writes. Adherence to this anti-capitalist doctrine can now be found in our high schools, corporate headquarters, Hollywood, national, state, and local governments, and even in our military academies, and as well the right wing of the Democratic Party. The ultimate objective of cultural Marxism is the destruction of capitalist economy and replace it with a socialist one. Such phrases as social justice, progressive, income redistribution, white privilege, gender equality, male chauvinism, critical race theory, equity, police brutality are among the lexicon of cultural Marxists as they set about dividing our nation along sensitive fault lines and undermining our faith in our cultural institutions. Uh, it, it is well written and, um, you know, Vladimir, and, and I, you have said this and I have said this as well, uh, he, he goes on to talk about Vladimir Putin, I mean Vladimir Lenin, famously called progressives useful idiots for joining with the communists. And we can see this happening in the likes of Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and other useful idiots in our nation who align themselves with thinking that cultural Marxism are some form of benign European social democrats. Now, I really think the useful idiots aren't the ones that are out burning down the cities. Oh, some of them are. Uh, most of the useful idiots are at some state university somewhere. Oh yeah, <laughs> are working for a are working for a mainstream media paper. And the critical race theory and um, and what's being talked about now, particularly last year, just kind of the whole George Floyd incident kind of fueled this. It's really exactly what was being done by Vladimir Lenin, if you read the, his books, The State and Revolution. But he was doing it with class warfare. Right. That's never worked in the United States because, I mean, we were built on a country of people leaving a place um, where they didn't have opportunities and where everybody has an opportunity to succeed. So it's never worked in the United States. So they're jumping on um, really this this race and uh, gender and equity and uh, diversity and inclusion and all this type of thing to pit people against one another and to defeat capitalism is what it's, – it's really a socialist agenda. And it I've, is. And I've been talking to people for the last year about this ridiculous Black Lives Matter, people putting it all on, on their Facebook pages, corporate and institutional American leaders saying, I support Black Lives Matter, I support Black Lives Matter. And some of them have never even went to their website when they say they are cultural Marxists. You know, they say they're doing that. They say they're anti-capitalist. Yep. yep. They're proud of it. Um, I, I, I bring that article up first, and it's a, it's a good read. It's a lot longer than what I just sort of paraphr- uh, you know, just gave you the, the Reader's Digest version of it. 
But the Daily Wire is reporting today, which this goes hand-in-hand with what we were just talking about. The Education Department has proposed a rule that would prioritize grant applications to to school districts wanting to include critical race theory and the 1619 Project and so-called anti-racism studies into their civics curriculum. So the Biden administration is basically saying, uh, you know what, if um, you want to get ahead and you want a better opportunity of getting a federal grant, then you better fall in line. We want you to promote critical race theory, the 1619 Project, which basically says, okay, the first slaves that came over in 1619, that is what America was founded on. And it's not founded on the Constitution. It was founded on systemic racism, according to the writers of the 1619. And look, the 1619 project is so full of fiction anyway. But um, that's what uh, your education department is, do- department is doing. Now, Donald Trump, you know, he went out of his way to make sure that critical race theory was not a part of the federal government. Joe Biden has flipped that. I mean, elections have consequences. I And listen, I don't, I, I will say it again. I, I'm in a position that I'm not going to run. You, know, you can vilify me all you want, uh, News and Observer or any other publication. I, I do not believe for one second that Joe Biden is the legitimate president of the United States. Uh, last night, I don't yeah. know if you saw the president on Sean Hannity. I think there's three basic points that he made. One was he got 17 million more votes um, than he did the first time around. That's never happened before in the, in the United States in, in a re-election of, of a president. Um, there were they were supposed to have lost twenty five congressional seats. They gained sixteen. So that's basically a, a flip of uh, what forty one seats basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the third thing was he won all the bellwether states. Right. He won North Carolina. He won Florida. He won Ohio. There's several others that he mentioned. And yet, and Joe Biden didn't win them, and yet Joe Biden comes out on top. The, the whole thing, it, it, it boggles the mind. And all the predictions said that Donald Trump would win because of the bellwether states. And he got the votes. And the only states that could not count their votes on election night were the ones he won. The ones were in play. The, the ones that were controversial. And they were, and they were in play, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we got to take another time out. When we come back, we'll try to get to uh, this story with uh, Ted Cruz grilling Stacey Abrams during a con- uh, hearing today on uh, H.R. 1, the uh, elections bill. We'll have that when we get back. This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. So the House and Senate are now getting into hearings on H.R. 1, the elections fraud bill that Nancy (laughs) Pelosi loves. Uh, Burgess Owens earlier today came out and just said, look, this is not... Uh, the, the Georgia bill is not Jim Crow. It is not Jim Crow. I lived through Jim Crow, and he described what it was like, and he said, <laughs> this is just a false narrative. Over on the Senate side, Republican Texas Ted Cruz, uh, a senator from Texas Ted Cruz, grilled former Democratic Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams about whether she still believed the 2018 race was stolen from her. Here's this from earlier today. Ms. Abrams, I'm going to ask you to please answer the question I asked, which is, do you, yes or no, do you still maintain the 2018 election was stolen? That's your language. 
my full language was that it was stolen from the voters of Georgia. We do not know what they would have done because not every eligible Georgian was permitted to participate fully in the election. So you also told the New York Times that your loss, quote, was fully attributable to voter suppression. Ms. Abrams, do you know in Georgia whether the percentage of, of African-American Georgians who are registered to vote and who turned out to vote, is it higher or lower than the national average? It is higher than the national average because Georgia is one of the largest states with an African-American population. But it, it, that's not tied to the size of the population. The percentage of black Georgians who are registered to vote in 2018 is 64.7%. That compares to 60.2% as the national average. The percentage of Georgians who voted in 2018, the election you claim was stolen from you, was 56.3%. That's higher than the national average of 48%. Let me ask you this, Ms. Abrams. In 2018, do you know which demographic group in Georgia had the highest registration percentage and the highest turnout percentage? I have a guess, but I will defer to you for the answer. The answer is African-Americans had the highest registration and the highest turnout, despite your claiming that the election was stolen and there was somehow voter suppression. Unbelievable. And what's unbelievable is she doesn't understand percentages. <laughs> what is... what? Uh, do you know in Georgia whether the percentage of African-American Georgians are uh, registered to vote and who turned out as higher or lower than the national average? He's talking about percentages. She said, what well, was African-Americans because we have more African-Americans. Percentages! Yep. She knows her talking points, and that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was well prepared to bring in those talking points. But that that is fascinating. The black voter turnout exceeded white voter turnout in Georgia's 2018 election that she says was stolen from her. <laughs> yeah. Wow. The turnout rate for black voters in the general 2018 election was approximately 51.4%, according to Pew Research. Wow. Well, there you go. Well, again, uh, if you didn't hear the beginning of our program, um, the uh, case up in Minneapolis with Derek Chauvin, Chauvin was uh, they reached a verdict of guilty on all three counts. Uh, pray for our nation that isn't set on fire tonight by the anarchist. I, uh, I pray and hope that is the case. I'm not sure it will be because I think they're looking for an excuse to riot. But um, pray for our nation. It is it is in a mess. And thanks for being with us, and uh, we'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody.